here. But Nehemiah 11 and 12, we're going to finish up Nehemiah today, Lord willing. So we, we did uh, chapter 13 last week, and we're going to finish up and do 11 and 12 this week. And we're going to skip around a little bit, but before we read it, I'll just tell you the theme that I, we're going to talk about so you can look for it as we read. But I remember, I don't know how many messages ago it was, but I asked something about what would you say that Jesus praised in his ministry? What characteristic or, or whatever, and how does that compare with maybe the world and um, just even evangelical American Christianity, things we value versus what God valued? And um, We talked about faith, but I remember one person said worship as one of the things, and that's a good answer. And it wasn't what we were talking about that day, but it really does... Sh- strike a chord in terms of what Jesus valued in his ministry and things he said. Some of his pretty shocking and amazing statements were about how much God values worship. And um, even John 4, where he says that the Father is seeking worshipers to worship him in spirit and truth. And um, Anyways, that's the theme today is worship. And we're going to read here. Starting in Nehemiah 11, we're just going to read a few verses from 11 and then skip to 12. So Nehemiah 11, starting verse 1. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring out of one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. These are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem, but in the towns of Judah everyone lived on his property and in their towns. Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. Then there's the list of names here for basically the rest of the chapter of of those people, and we're going to skip to 12, starting in verse 26. Basically all those verses are the names specific of the specific people. So jumping to 1226, kind of a summary here. These were the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Jeshua, son of Jozadak, in the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and of Ezra, the priest and the scribe. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Nedophites. Also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Azimveth, for the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem, and the priests And the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people, and the gates, and the wall. And then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall, and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, and after them went Hashiah and half of the leaders of Judah, and Ezra, Ezra, Meshalem, Judah, 
Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priests' sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mathiah, son of Micaiah, son of Zachar, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azrael, Malalai, Gilalai, Mai, Nethel, Judah, Hanai, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God, and Ezra the scribe went before them at the fountain gate. They went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. And the other choir who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall and above the fish gate of Ephraim and the gate of Yesenah and by the fish gate and the tower of Hanel, the tower of the hundred, to the sheep gate, and they came to halt at the gate of the guard. Let's pause right there. A lot of description about them walking around the wall singing. Kind of just as a side note, so you're, well, also just kind of to bring you back in in case you're zoned out, um, because there's a lot of locations and names. Just why would they spend all this time talking about, we're going this direction, we're going that direction? Um, Well, one of the things that I was thinking about was, if you remember back when we started, they were saying that who, when they built the wall, they were taunting them and saying, look, you know, if somebody goes up on the wall, a fox is going to knock it down. And then here we are at the end of the book. They've rebuilt the wall, and tons of people are marching around on top of the wall. It's pretty wide, apparently, and singing. So it's like hundreds and hundreds of people are marching around singing. Originally, they were saying, even if just a fox gets on it, it's going to fall down. And so it's kind of a full circle, um, and something to, that we can praise God for is, in the end, um, they didn't listen to the those that were taunting them, and here they are, worshiping God. Okay, verse 40. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, I and half of the officials with me. And the priests, Elikim, Messiah, Minimum, Micaiah, Eloniah, Zechariah, Haniah, with trumpets, and Masiah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzai, Jehoianan, Malchijai, Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang with Jezriah as their leader, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather them into the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered, and they performed the service or worship of their God and the service or or worship of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph were the directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God, and all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. So, wrapping up Nehemiah, 
kind of a positive note really to end on. Again, last week was negative really because they, in the next chapter, you know, they're going to go back on all this and not not be doing it over a matter of years. Um, but this would be a good place, positive place to end is really God rebuilt the city and with, you know, through the means of people, but he accomplished his promises and the result was worship. And they worshiped the Lord. And so that's what we're going to talk about. We did a whole series on worship. I don't know how long ago it was now, a couple of years ago, two years ago maybe, two and a half. And so a lot of this you might remember from that. Uh, it's not going to be exhaustive, but it's good review. You know, we spent a lot of time, many, many weeks talking about worship and the place um, that and that God, the priority that God places on it in the Bible. So the first thing that we can look at from this particular chapter about worship, these two chapters, is what caused their worship. And Nehemiah 11, 1, where we started, is really key to understanding this whole situation. It talks about how they lived in Jerusalem, and there wasn't a lot of people there. It specifically says that the houses weren't rebuilt yet, so they cast lots to bring people in, and Jerusalem's filled. The reason that's really, really important, and um, something I want, if you remember you know, this series about Nehemiah, one thing I want you really to remember is how many times we've talked about Isaiah 44, how all this is the fulfillment of God's promise specifically. Isaiah 44 is the section that talks about Cyrus being, this specifically names the one who's going to bring the people back. Um, and then it's also ta- it also talks about God promises, I'll just read it to you here, Isaiah 44, he says, I am the Lord who confirms the word of his servant, and fulfills the counsel of the messengers, who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited. So that's what just happened. They re, not only did they rebuild, her, rebuild Jerusalem, people came back to live in it. And the cities of Judah, they shall be built, and I will raise up their ruins. They did that. Who says to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up your rivers. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. He shall fulfill all my purpose. Saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. So God promised back in Isaiah at the same time that he promised destruction um, and exile, he promised them to rebuild. He specifically named the ruler and then says not only they're going to rebuild the, rebuild the city, it's going to be inhabited and they're going to rebuild the temple. And then here it's finally coming, you know, all those pieces are coming together. They had, re, they had already rebuilt the temple, but now the walls and now people are actually living in it again. And so that's cause for worship. God fulfilling his promise. God did what he said. He promised that he would do this. He promised that they wouldn't be cast off forever, but he would bring them back in. And he had already had a purpose and a plan. This is how I'm going to do it. And this is a ruler I'm going to use. And here they are and they're back. And God brought them in. A reason for worship. Just the fact that God does what he says, that God has a plan. That's a good plan. All that is a reason for worship. But even more than that, think about what we talked about when we talked about God's steadfast love. That God, you know, one way we could summarize steadfast love is just grace. It's love that we haven't earned, that God has placed upon us, not because we deserve it, because he's God and he is filled with love for his people. And so here's God 
And he's bringing back and promising to bring back these people who have sinned, who are sinners, and who in the next chapter are going to sin. And here he is, but he's wanting to bring them back and have them to worship. Praise the Lord for that. And who, did he, who does he use? I mean, he uses Nehemiah. And we talked about in chapter 1 how Nehemiah had to confess all the ways that he had sinned and kind of you know, leaned into this culture that he was living in. And, um, and he, he specifically says that I was, it was really bad, basically, how I was living. That's my paraphrase. <laughs> and had to confess that to God, and then that's the guy God used. And so we can praise God just that he fulfills his promises, but to people who are sinners, that he, even when we're not faithful or when we fall short, he's there. He is faithful. And he loves us despite our sin. Grace, we could say, um, is a way to summarize it. We can worship God because he fulfills his promise, not just to people that are really good, but to people that don't deserve it. Praise the Lord for that, right? Praise the Lord that he loves us and he wants us to worship him despite us, despite our sin. And he's going to make that possible. You know, it's pretty amazing if you really think about big picture, you know, um, the whole situation that in the same book that God is calling them out for their sin and saying all this destruction is going to come upon you, he's promising he's going to restore them and bring them back and lift them up. So that's the first thing. The cause for worship is, we could just summarize it with one word, God, right? Who he is. God who fulfills his promises, God who loves sinners, and God who redeems his people. That's the cause for worship. That's who, that's who they're praising. It's God. And the second thing we can see is the privilege of worship. The privilege of worship. So look here at the end of, or kind of in the middle, I guess, of Nehemiah 12, 27. It says, At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. Again, thinking back kind of over this whole situation, big picture, you know, hundreds of years that this has gone on, why was it that there wasn't worship up to this point, like in this way? Why was the temple destroyed? Why weren't they going, why weren't they going in and doing these sacrifices that the law had promised, that the law had commanded them to do? Well, it's because God shut it down. God is the one who shut it down. It's pretty amazing to really think, why wasn't there worship? God didn't want there to be worship. That's kind of crazy. But that's exactly what God says, um, and it shows the value of worship, really, if you think about this. I'm going to read you from Isaiah 1. So this is way back when he's, God's telling what's going to happen. And listen to what he says about worship. This is really shocking. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings and rams, and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls, or of lambs, or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who is required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, and the calling of conversations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a a burden to me, and I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. I mean, imagine 
you know, it's, you got to really think about what's going on in the Bible and then not just read it as like the Bible, but think about what would it be like if you were there or if that happened today. Imagine if I came up today and I said, I, I felt like really strongly God wanted me to say something and here's what he wanted me to say. He hates your singing. His soul hates it. And he's going to quit. He's going to stop it. We're not going to sing anymore. <laughs> would that be shocking? I mean, wouldn't that surprise you? I mean, <laughs> what, if, what if, you know, think about what he says. Who asked you to do this? <laughs> well, God did, right? God's the one that asked. But he, he's specifically saying, um, because they'd mix sin with it. God is the one. This is Isaiah 1, 11 through 16, if you're interested that I just read, but he basically says, I hate your singing. I hate when you come to worship. I hate when you come on Sundays, except it was Saturdays for them. Um, and the new moons, they would have kind of these special things. And so he's saying, I cannot endure it. Um, his soul hates it, and they're a burden. That's crazy. Uh, it's shocking. It's surprising. But what God is saying is, he hates worship that's mixed with sin, that's, that's insincere, that's not real. He, and he hates it. He doesn't want to hear it. He hates it so much that he'll shut it down. And that's what he did. Right? God shut down their worship the way that he commanded them to do it in the temple for a long time. Why? Because he loves real the real thing. He doesn't want this insincere, we're just coming out of you know uh, habit. This is what we do on for them Saturdays, for us Sundays. You know, like uh, we're just doing this out of habit and we don't really mean it. We're just here to sing and then we're going back out to do all our normal things that we know God doesn't really want us to do, but that's okay. Um, there's In their mind, you know, there wasn't really a connection between their worship and their life, and God is saying, yes, there is, and I don't like your worship, and I'm going to shut it down in the strongest of terms. And so we see the privilege of worship. I mean, God doesn't, we don't have to be able to worship God. It's not a right for us. God could shut it down at any time. Remember Cain. Remember when Cain brought his offering and God literally told him, I don't want it. Like, I reject you and your offering. How scary and how sad. But also it highlights what a privileged worship is, right? The fact that you can praise God and, you know, feel the sun on your skin, see the kids, you know, that the Lord has given you, see your friends, read the Bible, see Christ, and you say, God, say to God, thank you so much, you're wonderful, and imagine if what God said back was, um, I reject that. I reject your worship. That would be so sad. But that's what happened. That's exactly what happened here, and it happens repeatedly throughout the Bible. What a privilege that we as sinners can come back to God and praise Him and thank Him, and He hears it, and He accepts it, and He even loves it. That's amazing. Um, it highlights the goodness of God, uh, the grace of God, but also highlights, again, the privilege of worship. How differently would you feel this week, you know, if you heard that message from God? It's like, don't worship me this week because I know you don't mean it. Wow. I mean, that's kind of fearful, but also shows you something great that you normally have the opportunity to do, right? Through the blood of Christ, we can come boldly to the throne of grace and, and to ask for help, but also to worship, um, to worship the Lord. And that's a great privilege. Um, just think about the picture in the Old Testament, you know, how there was that veil there. It was access to God that was cut off, and they could, they could only go in and do 
service, but also worship once a year in that specific way. And now it's torn down by the blood of Christ. Um, Praise the Lord for that. But praise the Lord that God made a way for us to worship him acceptably through his blood, through his son, even though we're sinners. He, he very well could say to us, yeah, you guys that are sinners, don't worship me. Like, I don't, want, I don't want your worship. I'll take worship from the angels that are sinless, but not you. Like, he could say that if he wanted to. And yet, he's made a way for sinful people to worship him. And specifically here in Nehemiah, we see that. Um, but we also see how highly God values worship, you know, the real thing, for him to be willing to shut it down uh, um, for so long at least in terms of this, the sacrifices and the outward in the temple. Um, of course, they could worship internally. But he wants the real thing. God's serious about worship, and worship is a privilege. It's not something that we, we can do however we want, that we can do whenever we want, that we can do on our terms. It's we come to God on his terms, and he, praise the Lord, has made a way for us to be able to worship, worship him. So, cause for worship... They worshiped God because of who he is um, and what he's done. The privilege of worship, it's a great privilege. It's not, it's something to be taken for granted. Um, and then I want one more thing I want you to notice here from this passage about worship. The intentionality of worship. Um, this is something that they s- chose to do. Uh, Nehemiah 12.31 Then I brought the leaders of Jerusalem up to the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the Dungate and then talks about the other one. But the thing I want you to notice there is he decided, Nehemiah, or maybe a group all together, that let's worship. Let's take some time to remember what the Lord has done and to celebrate what he's done here. And let's set aside some time to worship. And here's here's what we're going to do. And it's kind of an interesting decision to basically have these choirs march around the city. Um, but it kind of makes sense because of they build up the wall and they're celebrating what God did. Again, kind of contrasting what people were saying before. But but they intentionally chose, like, I'm going to go ahead, we're going to go ahead and set aside a time and we're going to worship. And that's what they did. And you see this throughout, you know, this particular two chapters, you see them, you know, setting aside this time. But you see it throughout the whole Bible. I mean, people were very intentional uh, in terms of worship, saying, I'm going to worship, and then committing. I mean, this is what we're going to do. And we talked about that, how they, you know, committed. We're going to do what we said. We're going to go ahead and fulfill what God has asked us to do. We're going to bring the the offerings so that we can continue to worship this way, even though they ended up going back on that. But that's what they were committing to do. Chapter 10. And so let's think about some other places, you know, in, in the in the Bible where it's really clear they're intentional about worship. They're in, they're choosing to worship. They're choosing here to remember what God did. They could have just gone on um, and just said, "Wow, this is great." Now we've got a wall to protect us, but they're choosing to look back and remember and praise. And so there's a lot of places like this. Uh, Psalm 145 says, listen to the intentionality of this. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you 
and praise your name forever and ever. So here the psalmist is saying, like, this is what worship is not just something I do when I feel like it. Worship is something I'm going to do every day. I'm in. He's committing. This is what I'm going to do. I'm sure there was days, just like all of us, that the psalmist woke up and was just down, sad, um, did not feel excitement in his heart towards the Lord, felt cold. But he's saying, I'm committing and I'm going to worship. There's a, another example of that in the psalm. Psalm 71, 14 says, But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. So he's not only saying, like, I'm going to continue to worship, but I'm going to worship more and more. So I'm going to, I, I'm committing to grow in my worship. Um, and so thinking about us, you know, how do we, you apply that? How do we apply that? Well, the same. I mean, is there a sense of intentionality about worship in our own hearts and lives? Choosing not only to Worship in the sense of singing, that's part of it, but also just thankfulness and praising God for who he is. It could just be through words. Uh, there, you know, there's a lot of different ideas of the broad definition of worship versus a narrow definition. And you could go back to, um, if you wanted to look at some of that. We talked about that in the worship series. But the Bible has a lot of different range in terms of what we talk about when we talk about worship. But we, we definitely mean singing, but we also mean just enjoying the Lord for who he is, praising him in prayer and in our words um, to one another, but also through our lives, you know, we, um, that the acceptable sacrifice can just be us walking in our lives in obedience. But in all that, we want to worship, you know, we want to be intentional. And for them, it looked like I'm going to set, we're going to set aside some time here to remember and to praise God for this specific thing that he did in terms of the wall and fulfilling his promises here. And so what about us? You know, is there, do you have time where you set aside to actually to worship um, or to remember? Because a lot of times it's, it's kind of combined. He's, they're committing to remember what God did and then that lead to worship. And so, you know, we've talked about this before, but in, you know, American evangelicalism, like the big daily things that we kind of emphasize, it seems like, are like Bible reading. It's like, did you read your Bible today? You know, which is good um, and biblical. Did you pray? And that's kind of the main two, it seems like. Um, that I remember specifically one time when I was in college, um, somebody, it was like a group of college students, and somebody basically said something like, you read your Bible every day? Well, you should be a pastor. That's kind of what they said. It's like kind of the feeling. It's like, wow, reading your Bible every day, like that's a big thing. And that's maturity. Like if you read your Bible every day, you're super mature, which is not true. But that's kind of gives the feel of my, at least my experience in American evangelicalism. But the reality is, is that the Bible has so much to say about our lives and things that I personally don't naturally gravitate to or think about, which is like worship, uh, worship, singing to the Lord but also just praising him with our words and in our prayers. And so here, here they are, intentionally taking time to remember and then to praise. And it seems like they go together, you know. If we just took, it took some time daily to just remember 
the benefits of the Lord, who he is in himself, but then also all that he's done for us and given us, it would, I think, naturally lead to worship. You know, the, the remembering, intentionally remembering, leads to the worship. Um, thinking about maybe it could be your blessings that day or in your life in general or in history, um, God throughout history, or just who God is. You know, it makes sense if we don't take time to remember, to think, to meditate on God and his work in our life and who he is, that we wouldn't, it wouldn't lead into worship. Um, again, we talked about this a while ago. Moving from kind of a surface level on some things to try and pressing deeper and more meaningful, like changing things just a little bit. I remember we talked about, at one when we were talking about prayer, how different does this feel, you know, and kind of tying it back into the Bible reading, if I said, let's all commit to read our Bible every day this year. Okay, I think that would be good. I mean, I think that would be great if we all read our Bible every day. Now, think about this. What if we changed it just a little bit? Let's all commit to pray, as, pray through the Scripture every day this year. Well, that's different. That's actually a little bit better and deeper because it's not just, I'm just reading a chapter. It's like, as I read, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to say whatever comes to my mind throughout um, what I read, whether that's an example to avoid or to follow or just praise, but just pray through the scripture every day. Well, it seems like that's better and deeper. Um, But then we could add something else to it. It's like, well, let's all commit to pray through the scripture daily and thank the Lord or worship the Lord every day. Because it goes from just reading words to reading words and engaging with God, which is so much deeper than just truth, right? Just no knowledge in your head, actually engaging with the living God in prayer. That's much better. But then moving from just engaging to actually asking the Lord to help us or committing, like, I want to engage on a level to where my heart and my emotions are affected and brought to the place of thankfulness, of worship, of praise to God. And that's different, right? It's going from information to a deeper level. And so that's where we want to live our lives. We want to keep pressing in. We want to move from a surface, a surface level interaction with God to something deeper. And even just in the way we talk about it, try and talk about it the way the Bible does, um, even the way Jesus did. Uh, in John 4, again, we already talked about this, but those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth, for God is seeking such people to worship him. God is seeking worshipers, you know? And is that us? And if it's something we fall short on, we can just repent. We can just say, Lord, forgive us, you know, forgive me. And maybe for you, you know, we were, I was having a conversation about this just two weeks ago, I think. And we were talking about it. And for some people, it's more natural. It's like, oh yeah, I praise God every day. I never miss that. But there are days when I, you know, um, I only read just a short couple of verses or, or whatever. The, the worship is the part for me that's easier versus the reading, which for me, the conversation I was having, for me, it's the opposite. It's like reading is much easier for me. It's like, oh, here's a checklist I, I read today, but actually getting to where it's affecting my heart um, to where I'm worshiping the Lord intentionally, um, that's something I want to grow in, and I don't want to just 
engage superficially with the Lord. So how can we wrap all this up uh, and apply it to our lives? The cause for worship is God. Worship is a privilege. And then see their example of intentionally choosing to remember and committing to praise. The intentionality of worship. We'll just see that, one, we can apply it just as we read through the Bible, just to see this as a big theme, you know, to shape our understanding. Uh, Hebrews 13 says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. Through him, then, that's Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Kind of a kind of a good verse to kind of summarize some of this because here's this physical picture in Nehemiah of God raising up His city, but we know that the fulfillment of that is us as Christians worshiping the Lord. We're the New Jerusalem. Um, we are the city that's going to come down. Specifically, it says that in Revelation. We looked at that before, but here we are. We don't have a lasting city here. It's we're not looking towards Jerusalem. We're not all going to make a pilgrimage there. We are the New Jerusalem. As a church, every single person who's trusting the Lord uh, in the universal church is a piece of this city. And it's not one that's here, um, ultimately. It is here, but it's not ultimately here. It's a lasting city that's going to be fulfilled when Christ returns. And so what should we do? Let's offer up continually a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. That's Hebrews 13, 14, and 15. And so... The Bible is talking about why did Christ come? Why did Christ die for our sins? There's a lot of reasons, but one of them is worship. One of them is definitely worship. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 2. And it's interesting that in both cases they're kind of using this metaphor of the city and the temple. Um, As you come to him, Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being up, being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That, okay, so here's the purpose. Like, well, so that what? Like, for, for what purpose? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you, out of darkness into his marvelous light. So here's God. He's building up this new temple, new city, and for a place for his spirit to dwell so that we could proclaim how good he had worship with our lips. Say, look at the goodness of God. He's the one that called me out of darkness into marvelous light. And so that's when we come here on Sundays, that's what we're wanting to do is we're wanting not only to taking information, but we're wanting to worship. We're wanting to be a people of a worshipers of Jesus, not just knowers of the right facts, not just we've got the right positions on these doctrinal issues, but we are worshipers, that it's not just something up here, but it's something that affects our heart and where we look at what Christ did on the cross, where we look at who God is and his grace towards sinners, and it moves us not just to know the facts, but to say, wow, Praise the Lord who is so gracious and so good and so abundantly generous who's given all these things to us and that overflow into Sundays but also throughout our whole life.
worshipers. How does that look in our daily life? Well, it may just be we think about reading our daily time where we try and set aside for the Lord specifically to think about that a little differently and to think, is worship every day a part of that? And if it's not, how can I incorporate that? How can I ask the Lord to help me with that? That if I'm really good at reading daily, but I'm not taking time to reflect and to, rem- and to remember and to worship, um, Lord, help me to do that. Maybe it's something just that we can foster as families and our kids, uh, setting aside time. Maybe, I mean, things that are kind of routines are always seems like easier uh, for me and I think just in human nature, but maybe it's something that you do daily with your family. Routine would probably be the easiest. Maybe it's just simply dinner time when you're getting ready to pray that we you just say, well, what are you thankful for to God today and what can we praise God for today? And everybody says something. Or maybe you already have a time where you read the Bible together, something like that, incorporating it there. But teaching our kids and being examples to our kids of worshipers. Or... Another way we could apply it is just confessing where we fall short. Just to say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for all the days where I feel fine just going through the motions and it's outward, but it's not moving inward into into worship at all. That that's rare for me. Uh, I engage intellectually, but I, I rarely move into worship. So forgive me and help me. Or just sing when we when we open up the Bible or when we come on Sunday or wherever we're at, just being honest with the Lord and just saying, I don't feel like worshiping right now. Um, help me. I Or just recognizing, I'm just singing the songs. I'm not in my heart in awe of you, thankful for you. Um, it's just, I'm just going through the motions and recognizing that and asking for help. Forgive me and help me. But I think all these things tie together. I think, think about, even as we confess our shortcomings, how that can lead us to worship. Because that's the story here of Nehemiah, right? Like we already talked about that we started, the first point was basically that God is gracious. That God, it's amazing that God wants sinners to worship him at all. And so here he is, he's drawing these people back in to worship um, that don't deserve it. But it's his steadfast love and it's his grace. And it's the same for us, that God wants us to worship him, not because we've been perfect in the past and not because we're going to be perfect in the future, but because he loves us. And he's, he wants to forgive us and walk with us. That's pretty amazing. It's, it's really amazing. And I think it's helpful, even just in the context of Nehemiah, to, thinking, to think about what this what this these two particular chapters are squeezed between is God knew that just not very long they're going to go back on all this, you know He knew that they were going to mess up big time and need Nehemiah to come and to rebuke them, and yet here he is he's he's still delighting it seems like in the worship of imperfect people, and that's really the story of the whole Bible, right that if we don't really have that mindset, um, 
the Bible is a very strange book, you know, Genesis through Revelation. The disciples, uh, the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're all really, really messed up people who God drew into himself and set his, set his seal upon them, set his love upon them, and said, you're going to be my people, and you're going to worship me, and I'll be with you despite your sin. So praise the Lord for that. And the same with all the way through the Bible. Um, of course, except for Jesus, who was perfect and sinless. So we can lean on the Lord. We can lean on him to help us daily uh, in our hearts, uh, in our actions, and to forgive us and to be near us despite us, despite our sin.